week and part of it is he's been here enough that I think you all know who he is. Uh, but he's more than just a, a pulpit supply person to us, I think. I think he's a true friend to our church. He's definitely a true friend to me. And I was excited when uh, Lynn said we're going to have him back. So Amen. praise the Lord. Thank you. Share the word with us. Well, I am glad to be here again. And I know that several of you have things going on in the coming week. I know family camp starting for some Saturday. And I will probably remember to pray for you uh, during that time because I'm sure that's going to be a great time. I also could say, if you think about it, maybe you could pray for me, too, because I will be, for the next, I don't know, 11 days, starting next Saturday, Sunday, I will be out, I'll be in the United States, but I'll be in a place where there is no connection. It's kind of like a, it's a desert, actually, and, and I got some kind of scholarship to go to this Answers in Genesis thing where they, they cart you down, or uh, go down the, the Grand Canyon thing, and I'll tell you, I'm uh, pretty concerned about that. I hope that goes well, and if it doesn't, I mean, they just tell you, look, if you have a medical problem, there's nothing we can do. So that's uh, an interesting thing, but I'll be praying for you. I hope it's a good thing uh, uh, spiritually for, for me as well, too, but that'll be interesting, and I'll be thinking of you while you could be thinking of me. Now, you know there are some people out there that, preachers and stuff, that, that they are just known for the fact that uh, they don't use notes when they preach. And in fact, you can find books and stuff, How to Preach Without Notes. Do you know what? I have never been that kind of person. That's just, I got too much stuff in my mind and I need to be organized and that kind of stuff. So I do that. Well, guess what? Today is going to be the very first day I ever preach without notes. And I'll tell you why. Because I left them at home today. I don't, I, I just looked and I thought, I, the last thing I remember doing, I just stuck them in my Bible and then out, you know, out we went. But apparently... They didn't stay there or something. I don't know. But anyway, we're in a passage of scripture that I love very, very much. And it's Acts chapter 8. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to leave out some uh, details and things that I wanted to share with you. I have this whole list of things that, that uh, details how wonderful and great our God is. And I know I won't be able to remember each one of those points there, but it's a really good part of the, the passage here. And so I'm going to be praying uh, before we get going to the Lord will give me clarity in a way that I've never had before. But this is a wonderful passage of scripture. It is fabulous. And it's one of my favorite. And it ends with a baptism. I love baptism. I really do. It's kind of like my favorite topic in all the Bible and, and all throughout church history too. In fact, I'm, I'm working on a class that I'll be teaching in January. So this, this, all day yesterday, I was, uh, you know, thinking about it because I was uh, working on some of the the reformers and what they thought about it. Not too thrilled about a lot of what they thought about baptism as far as baby baptism and all that. But anyway, okay, so let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 26. Before we do, let's look to Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would help give clarity to me and also to your word so that the Holy Spirit can work in people's lives as, as we would like them to. And Father, we just pray that you would help us to, to gain immeasurably, help us to be changed from your word, even yet this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, this is all from the top of my head. So what I had planned to say is, is imagine Northridge Baptist Church in its most ideal type setting and, and what you would really want to see going on here at Northridge and where you would be opening the door here because you would have people flocking in from this uh, door over here plus the one back here and maybe there's another probably there's 17 more doors that lead outside that I don't even know about but anyway people just flocking the church and then and uh, you have to open up the upstairs because there's so many people here that won't fit down below and then you realize you've got even more overfull problems because because there's just more people and and uh, people get saved every week and in fact some week you might just have to split the bars of these this this uh, uh, thing open so because you got to have baptisms going on all the time and then also believers are doing well because they're getting right with their wives or their husbands and growing and and families are 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 becoming added to the church i mean just ideal things that could be happening right here what would that look like seriously in your mind what would that look like and why i ask that is because for that to be an ideal situation, you're going to be reaching people right from this area. And guess what? They probably won't look like you. And I can remember when I was uh, pastoring in eastern Iowa, about 45 minutes south of Iowa City, community of 1,800 people. We had a, a, can't remember, the place where you slaughter hogs. What do you call that? Yeah, something like that. Big, big whole operation. So we had a lot of Hispanic people living in our home, in our, our uh, area. And I was knocking on doors, inviting people to, to come in. And oftentimes they would say, do you have a, a service in Spanish? I'd say, no, sorry. But, and they would be very happy to go 17 miles away to a, another church that, that had that. But when I was telling some of my church people I was doing that, and you know what? They were like, oh, you're doing what? You're inviting who? I'm like, well, there are people in the neighborhood. I'm just going right around here. I, I got the feeling that they might not have been so happy to have other people that don't look like them attend the service. I'm not kidding. That kind of shocked me. But how is it for us? We're not going to worry about them. How is it for us right here? What would that look like? And let me just say that, that this church might look very different than it does now. But... God can do amazing things. And we're going to see in a passage of Scripture that, that one particular individual was obeying the voice of God and where he was very clearly directed to go, where very clearly he was directed to do when he got there. And yet he was breaking social customs that had been existing for millennia in, in the Jewish context in which he's from. Now, I had this whole thing all planned out, how it's going to tell you the... The, the context here, we had the persecution of, of Saul. At the beginning of chapter 8, it, Saul, who would become the palace of Paul, is persecuting the church. Philip is there, and he's in Samaria. He goes to Samaria. Now, what's so surprising about Philip going to Samaria? I think that's what, in verse uh, 4 or something like that. The, the church had been persecuted, and so it's scattered, and Philip is in Samaria. So, it's a nice place. They probably got nice homes there. You know, it's a good place to settle down or whatever. No, that's not why it's unusual for him to go to a Samaria. The reason why it's, it's unusual is because Samaritans live in Samaria. And Samaritans were people that were of mixed heritage. They were 
they, their relatives or ancestors had been Jewish, but they mixed in with other people groups that the Assyrians brought in. And so they weren't quite as good as everybody else. Now imagine that. So, so the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. They, that they weren't just as good as they were because they were, you know, of mixed blood. Now can you imagine a Jewish person going to a Gentile? I mean, they had a word for Gentiles. That was the dogs. I mean, you know, they, and dogs were not in their culture and even today a clean animal. So obviously... And what they weren't looked upon uh, well. But you know what? Guess what happens after chapter 8? Chapter 9 and then chapter 10. And, and Peter goes to a Gentile. In fact, he goes to not just any Gentile. He goes to the hated Roman occupiers of Cornelius and, and all of his. And he witnesses to him of the gospel. That caused a problem. And that's why most of chapter, or half of chapter 11 of the book of Acts is Peter explaining himself. For, in front of, uh, for the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem. That was unusual, very, very different. Now, just go back to our illustration of, of what would this church look like under its most ideal circumstances of, of reaching people for the gospel, having baptisms once a month, having, having people who, who had lived together for years, now they're getting married because they trust in Christ as their Savior. They realize, hey, we shouldn't be living together. We should get married. And, and just... Other people making their, right, their, their lives right with the Lord. They're forsaking things that they should forsake. They're embracing uh, the, the idea of serving willingly in a church. If you can believe that, that is an awesome thing. Any pastor would love that. Now, put yourself back in that circumstance. Why isn't it happening? Well, you know, my thought on that was, the truth is, is that people out there don't believe we have something for them. Do you realize that when people are hurting and people are in trouble and people are desperate, they will go to almost any length to have those things resolved in their lives? I remember, I'm old enough to remember, a, a, one of the U.S. president's wives consulted some sort of I don't know, medium or, or, or spiritist or something like that, something like that, because there was a big need in her life, and, and she thought, this is going to be a help. Why would she, and it was a big national sort of scandal, like, why would she do that back in the 1980s? But, but why would someone do that? Why would someone pay, if they had it, millions of dollars to go to, to, go to Cuba for, for cancer treatments? Because they offer that there. I lived in Jamaica, and I knew that. Some people came to Jamaica so they can get a flight to Cuba and, and have cancer treatments that weren't available or maybe were experimental or something like that. People will do anything they can to get their, what they understand that their needs are, to get them met. And I believe that, that they don't have confidence in, in that we have an answer for them. So if they're not coming to us, what should we be doing? Oops, lost the notes, but I don't even have, <laughs> this is all I got, so anyway. But, but if, if, if they don't believe that we have something that will help them and that will well, be an encouragement to them and actually solve what their actually greatest need is. Oftentimes people come to, to others with problems, but that's not really the deep or the, the root of their real issues in their lives. Because sometimes, well, all of us are human. We don't want to face that kind of stuff. That's too embarrassing. That's, that's something I want to deal with. But of course, what the Bible can do is help them reorient their life. 
And if they're not understanding that we have that kind of a message, then we need to take it to them. And that is, that is a, a key issue here. I think that's what's going on here in the book of Acts. And so let's just take a look at those first three verses. It says in verse 26, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise. Now this is already after Philip's already gone to Samaria. So I mean, what's, how much worse can it get than going to Samaria? Well, it says, Arise and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to, unto Gaza, which is the desert. Yeah, I'm going to go to a desert. That's a great place to go. Not really. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of, of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Why would he go to Jerusalem to worship? That's a very good question to ask and was returning, sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. So who is this guy? Now, I refer to him as male, but he's a eunuch. Now, there are sometimes various words you can use for that. Sometimes it just means a government uh, official, like Potiphar. But other times it means a real eunuch. And this is somebody that, this would be in the context of which especially with his great authority, it would probably be pretty probable that he is really a eunuch. And, and uh, so he was under the authority of, of Candace, queen of all the Ethiopians. Okay, so why, what is he doing? And why is he serving her? So he is a, he's probably the financial guy. I mean, he's, you know, secretary of the treasury or minister of the, of the, the finances or something like that, very high up. Now he's ministering unto... Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace is a, is a technical term or an honorary title for whoever holds it. That person who holds that role is always going to be referred to as Candace. So that's, that's okay. And why is, is uh, obviously, she's a queen. She's probably the queen mother because in their society in which they lived, the, 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 the king, I guess you could say, would be the, her son, and he's sort of, they looked upon him as a god, and so you wouldn't want to bother a god with administrative responsibilities like running a, a kingdom, so the mother got to do it. So anyway, kind of a good deal, I think, in some ways for, for men. Maybe they would uh, be more prudent than, than actually their sons would be. But in any case, that was the setup. And who had charge of all her treasure. Now, this is an Ethiopian black African who is, has immense responsibility, immense responsibility. And by the way, when it says he's going to join this chariot, it probably was a procession. And so he's on the chariot, but he's got a lot of servants and other people around him, probably somebody putting shade on him or something, because it can be hot and all of that. So <clears throat> he had come to worship in Jerusalem. Why did he do that? I mean, obviously, they have a, a system, a religious system in where he was from. So why is he going to Jerusalem to worship? Obviously, there is some need in his life that he feels like is not being adequately met in his area. And he heard about the Israelite God. And this God was an amazing God. He was the creator of the heavens and earth. He had led the Israelites out of Egypt on dry ground, led them to conquer the land. I mean, these things would be ideas that people would, be, would have been familiar with in Israel's history. And, 
Cornelius will be described as a God-fearer. This man is not described as a God-fearer. Why? Because there's limitations in his life if he wanted to be, so a God-fearer would be someone who would be in line to be like a proselyte. You know, I'm not Jewish, but I want to accept the Jewish faith. Well, he wasn't necessarily, I mean, and then supposedly that person who's a proselyte then would have certain rights and privileges of the Jewish people. But this man is not eligible for that. Why? Because he's a eunuch, and the Bible in the Old Testament puts very significant restrictions in Deuteronomy, I think it's 23, I don't have it in front of me, but, but on eunuchs, because they're in the condition they're in. By the way, why is he? Well, he's in that condition because he's a man of great responsibility. Why were those men preferred to be eunuchs? Well, because they didn't have a dynasty that they would, that would try to, to you know, usurp the throne or something like that. Now, way back in 2008, I believe, I was in Istanbul, Turkey. Didn't go outside the city, but I was there for a week, uh, a friend of mine. And, uh, and we went to the Topeki Palace. Now, they don't use the Topeki Palace anymore. They don't really have a dynasty anymore, or a sultan, or a, you know, this leftover from the Ottoman Empire. And in 1846, this, this palace had been around for hundreds of years, but in 1846, the new sultan, or whoever, whatever the title would be, created a new palace, and that one I can't even pronounce, but I went to that one too. That one just about bankrupted the Ottoman Empire, and 60 or 70 years later, it was in its last throes, and by World War I, it didn't survive. But the old Topeki Palace had this, this place, and it was all set up like, it, you know, they didn't, you know, change it or whatever. So, so hundreds of years ago, this is how it would have been. And then there was this place, and you go in, and I don't think it's in Arabic, because... They speak Turkish there. But anyway, it said this place, and, and my friend, who actually spoke Arabic, he says, I don't understand Turkish. But anyway, he found out that, that sign there, it means, it's haram, haram. That means, we would say harem, but it means forbidden, forbidden. You, you, nobody can go in there unless there are certain people. And, and eunuchs would have access to that. They would find out if, if there were, were plots against the sultan or something like that. And, and so people that were in uh, that condition of life would have been entrusted regularly with great responsibility. It, in that sense, they would say, well, he's trustworthy. Why? Because he doesn't, he's not going to be plotting to overthrow the kingdom because he's never going to have a son. And you know, so he's going to be loyal to the person he's with. So that's the kind of person that we're talking about here, this man of great responsibility. He was returning, sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. And that's the person that Philip was instructed to go see. Now, do you suppose Philip had any racial prejudice in him? Probably not. No way, right? No. He had he had just gone to the Samaritans, and I'm sure that was a big step for him. And now God wants him to do this? What's going on? What we need to see here is that you ought to seek to minister to those who don't look like you. Why? Because there are many people you'd normally never minister to you, just as someone reached out to you. And, you know, you needed the same thing that they need. The truth is, is when it comes down to it, yes, we have different cultures and backgrounds and perspectives and all that. But the truth is, is that we're all in the same condition before God. 
We don't have our sins forgiven and we're going to be in big trouble when we meet God someday. And so the, the, the answer to the solution, obviously, is to understand that Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins to, to take the penalty that we all deserve. And that's the key there. So there's people that you'd normally never minister to if you only want to minister to someone you look like, who looks like you. Now, I learned this pretty quickly because God directed my steps. I spent 14 years in Jamaica, and I didn't look like the people that I was ministering to. And I realized also very early on, if I waited until I was comfortable with the situation, I'm never going to do anything there. I'm not kidding. I spend most of my life being uncomfortable. That's okay. Do you know that it doesn't take you to be comfortable in order to minister to somebody? That's wonderful. That's great. That's so liberating. I don't have to be comfortable with the situation. But you know what? I still, can, I still have a message that I can share with somebody. And, uh, and I saw people get saved and praise the Lord for that. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. We can do that. Now, in some cases, they might have preconditions or pre-understandings of what they think of me as a white person, but still, it can happen. And, and it did happen, I mean, I give God praise for that. But the point is, is that if you limit yourself that way, oh, I'm not comfortable talking with those people because I, I, I don't know the culture, I don't understand things, I, I don't know how they do things, and I don't really, not so sure, I want to know. Because I like things done the way I like it. And I know it's kind of funny, I noticed that much clearer when I was in a situation like that because I noticed how the Jamaicans would interact and do things. Because when they would go visit, you know, either England or Canada or the United States or something like that, man, they don't have good food there. No, that's terrible stuff. You can't get anything good there. Well, obviously they're used to what they're used to. And, and another thing you learn when you travel like that is that you better... You better find out, you better embrace where you're at, and that means everything, including the food. And so I realized, well, hey, you know, I eat your food, and like, well, yeah, man, of course you do. It's good food, right? Yeah. So, so, but their perspective is, is going to be different that way. The point here is that if we wait until we're comfortable, we're never going to serve the Lord. We're never going to minister to people that God may want us to minister to. And uh, I'm glad for that. I mean, I probably never would have married my wife if I thought, like, you know, well, I have to have... Uh, I mean, when I was in Jamaica, they'd say, why, oh, uh, Pastor, why didn't you marry a nice Jamaican girl? And I was like, you know what? People in the U.S. say, why didn't I marry an American girl? You know, so I mean, and people in England say, why don't you marry someone from there? But, but it just so happened, this is what God worked out, and I couldn't be happier, so that's good. So, so your perspective really uh, can benefit from that. Obviously, having a wife and a life partner like my wife, I just can imagine what life would be without like that. So, so that's a good thing. But you know, you have to understand that there may be someone whose door you knock on that when they open the door, you think, oh dear, what should I do now? Well, you know what? Share the gospel. You know how to do that? Yeah, good. That's what they really need. Someone comes along, and, and you know what? When you start doing this, people's lives are messy. You know what? Your life is messy, and you know the Lord, you might say. But the truth is, is all of our lives are messy. All of our lives have entanglements with sin. All of that is dirty. All of that is awful. But we have an answer for that. And we can give that message out. 
And that's exactly actually what, what, uh, what Philip did. It says in verse 30, and follow me, it says, And Philip ran thither to him. Maybe they were going a little bit faster pace. I don't know. But in any case, he ran up and, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah and, and said, Understandest thou what thou dost readest? So, do you understand what you're reading? And uh, that was a perfect question. Do you know, I mean, I've been to a part of India about four times now, five times, you have to get a special permit to travel to that part of India. In fact, pe regular p people in the mainland part of India have to get a permit to travel to that area of the uh, country. And it's, it's, it's just connected by what they call the chicken neck. It's, it's between Bhutan and Bangladesh, just a narrow strip of land that uh, connects this part of India to the rest of India. And it's known for rebellions and stuff like that. I went there once and I had to have a whole, whole bus full of soldiers following me around. And I thought, you know what? The people are actually there are mad at the soldiers and they represent the government of India. And I thought, you know, I'd probably be much better without the soldiers than with. But anyway, that's just the way they, they did that. And uh, there's a lot of things about their culture I didn't understand. You know what I did? I ask questions. I'm not kidding. So why do you, what is this? What, explain to me what you're doing here. Or why does this happen? Or why, and a lot of times I'm dealing with Christians when I'm staying in their home, and I'll say, oh, why are they doing this out there? What is this procession that's going by? Oh, they're worshiping the snakes, and that's just this profession. Or this is the Durga festival, and this is what we do for this. Or this is this, uh, what, what the unsafe people do there, or the Hindus will do there, and things like that. And asking questions is, is a great help. So what's in this food? This, looks this smells really good. Better preface it with that. But then, so tell me what's in here, you know? Maybe, in some cases, it might be better if you don't know. But, you know, ask questions. And, and people love to talk about, oh, I want to tell you about what we do. This is somebody who doesn't know who, who uh, why we do things this way. That's a great thing to do. And then the... The, uh, the eunuch answers, he said, how can I understand what I'm reading except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, I'm not so sure exactly about all of Philip's theological training here, but guess what? He read what he understood and he explained to him the gospel. How do we know that? Uh, so, and the place, verse 32, of the scripture which he read was this, as he, uh, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a dumb lamb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch said unto Philip, uh, answered Philip and um, said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? Of himself or some other person or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, he didn't say, oh, well, I know this other place over here. I'm real familiar with this passage. Actually, right from that passage, he's, and, sh and preached unto him Jesus, verse 35. So why should you be willing and actually encouraged or interested in and ministering to those who don't look like you because they have questions that need answers just as you do. And these are things that are not any different than what you had to realize in your own life. If you're a believer here this morning, that that Christ died on the cross for my sins. There's nothing I can, that I can do to relieve myself from the misery of my sin. And you know what? Sin is miserable. Sometimes we think, oh, look at those, those drug dealers or, or other people that you know, seem to flaunt every rule and stuff, and they just have it nice. They don't. 
And all of our lives are full of, of uh, broken relationships, broken people, because we're broken ourselves. And I think when we get into the idea of, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person because I wouldn't want to live like that, or I'm better than them. No, we won't really say that. But you know what? Sometimes that's what we think. And uh, yet the truth is, is that they have questions that need answers just like you do. And you know, are any of us willing to say, hey, I've got the whole thing figured out. The Christian life is going well. I don't have any problems. Things are going wonderful. And uh, I'm pretty much the best person you can ever talk to about the Lord. And yet, that's not true of any of us. Because none of us are. Because God wants to humble us. God wants to keep us dependent on him. And that's what we need to do in our own lives. So I was thinking about this. And look at what the, the scriptures that he's actually talking about there. This, the, the place he's led as a, uh, as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb done before its shearer. He didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation, generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the God of all the universe... And I think Proverbs indicates in other places that Jesus Christ, Christ was involved in creation from the very beginning of, of what we would understand time is. And the God of the universe is being treated horribly here. He doesn't even answer, and he doesn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment, or you could even say other translations trust translate that as justice. His justice was taken away from him. Hey, wait a minute. You can't do that. I'm an American. We've got rights and you've got to honor them. Guess what? That doesn't work outside the country. Do you know that? It's really true. So, so we're privileged where we are, yes, but uh, those aren't like universal principles for everybody. But the point is, is his justice was gone. There was nothing righteous about what happened to him. In fact, the God of all the earth, who's sinless and wonderful and, and perfect, had to take on the sins of everybody else. I mean, there's so much irony going back and forth here. And, and again, I had this all written out. I wish I could articulate it in the way I did. But, but in any case, his life is taken from the earth. He's the one who got killed instead of the honor in which he deserved. And Philippians chapter 2 is going to make that clear to us that at some point every knee shall bow, and that's coming. But let me tell you, the first time Christ walked the earth, it was no picnic for him, and especially uh, his crucifixion and, and that humiliation. And so that's what Pete Philip is, is talking to this eunuch about. He preached to him Jesus you know, in other countries, there are ways of evaluating people that, that uh, can be not just racial, but other ways. And, and for, in fact, I heard a British person talk about this once on, and talk about, well, actually, it's not so much that here, it's, it's class. What class are you? Are you lower class? Are you middle class? Are you high class? And that's where the inequalities are, and that's where people look down on other people, and, oh, you're not respectable, so, you know, you're, 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 you're lower. And, and back in the 1800s, in fact, they would, they would really, those, those, those categories were very, very uh, inflexible in someone's life. So if you were born as a, as a blacksmith because that's what your dad did, then that's where you were. There was no way to move up and down. 
that's not the way it is here in the U.S., but we find other, way, other ways to hate each other. And that's one thing I, I remember in my notes is the fact that human beings are sinful and they are wonderfully creative at finding ways to hate each other and to treat each other badly. I think that's one thing you can see in human beings that's true of everyone. Now, there might be something that you don't know about, that they have a hidden agenda or something, and, and you know, they, I mean, not everybody is as bad as they can be. I'm not saying that. But generally speaking, people are going to look out for their own interests. And that's why, if we're believers, we've got something to tell others. In fact, we've got something to model that in our lives. We don't have to treat other people bad. In fact, somebody can treat us bad and we can return in kindness to them. Don't you just hate doing that? Man, so-and-so did such and such to me and I don't want to return to what I, what they, de- I want to give them what they deserve. And uh, I remember a doctor talking to me and he said there was a man who had what in Jamaica they call a trolley. It's a shopping cart. And the man had it and, and just went like that with it and it smashed and dented his car and that either the next day or very very soon there was in the hospital where the doctor worked in the emergency room that very man came in with a very badly cut cheek and and so he sewed it up half of it with with painkiller and the other half he didn't (laughs) Because he said, look, this is what it's going to have coming to him. This is the justice. Well, the, the, the point is, is that, that we need to, to respond in a way that's appropriate, but also shows that we live differently. So when someone does something bad to us, we don't return. Why wouldn't we? I mean, it's within, within our rights, and sometimes we even have power to do that. And boy, our minds are so creative, aren't they, on how we, how we can get back at other people. And yet that's not what we should do at all. The truth is, is the person that you might want to look down on is actually has, is in the same condition that you're in. The very same condition before God. And yet, God has in his mercy and grace, we never deserved our salvation, no matter how much sometimes we act like we do deserve it. We don't deserve our salvation, so he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, that if we trust him, we put our forgiveness for the forgiveness, put our trust for the forgiveness of our sins in Christ's death on the cross, we can have eternal life. And you know what? The other people out there need that same thing. And if they understood how that can change your life, you wouldn't have to be out there trying to seek them out. They'd be seeking you out. And that's the, 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 the wonderful thing of, of expanding our minds this way. Let's keep reading our text, verse 36. It says, And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, here, See, here is water, that what doth hinder me to be baptized? So obviously, maybe he observed it while he was in Jerusalem, or the ceremonial washings that people did, or maybe he saw Christians up there, or maybe... Philip actually told him about this. This is what you do. If you want to be known as a Christ follower, if you want to dedicate your life to, to fighting sin in your life, like Romans 6 says, then you need to show that to other people. Make a commitment that you're going to be a Christ follower. What's that commitment called? Confirmation. No, it's not. 
Absolutely not. In fact, confirmation is, supposed, is, is an attempt to accomplish what baptism is, it does accomplish. Someone who understands what they're doing and willingly says, I want to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is, Jesus actually really died. I'm supposed to live that out in my life that I'm dead to sin as much as I possibly can. We're not going to be perfect at that, but as much as we possibly can. And that's, that's uh, uh, what that's, that's picturing. Let's keep reading. It says in verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went, both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. They didn't bring the water up to them. Why? How do you bring a pond or a river or a stream to someone else? No, they go down into, obviously, and uh, into the water, both, the Philip, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch uh, saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So, so, remember what I was saying about those categories, either racial categories or class categories or whatever kind of categories you can put pigeonhole people in. Well, I'm not as bad as that person because I've got this or I've thought of this ahead of time and so that's why this bad thing that happened to them didn't happen to me and I'm all the smarter for it or whatever. The point here is because they are all citizens of heaven just as you are. Why should you minister to someone who doesn't look like you? Because they have and the, the, the eunuch perfectly demonstrates this. He had a full Christian baptism. There's not going to be a one layer of Christians in a, in a church and then the upper level or the higher level or, or the ones that are just a little bit better than everybody else. No. In fact, this man going back to Africa got a full Christian baptism just like everybody else. There's not going to be any second class Christians in the church. That's what they're saying. I mean, this whole thing, this whole progression of the book of Acts is significant in that way. And it's to accomplish that particular purpose of, of showing, okay, the gospel goes to the, to the Jewish people in chapter 2, and then later in here, it's going to the, Gen sorry, to the Samaritans and then to, to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then eventually it's going to go to the Gentiles in chapter 10, It'd be explained in chapter 11, and in chapter 13, what happens? First missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and others with him. There's a progression going on there of the gospel being spread. And as the gospel spreads, all people have the opportunity. That's different than what it was under Judaism necessarily. There's a lot of things you had to do in order to join in. Here it's offered freely to everybody and everybody is going to be a full member. No, what do you call it, uh, Half memberships, I don't know. There's, there's different terms you can use for that. And really, this shouldn't be too surprising for the, for the Jewish people if they read the Bibles. I was just reading in Zechariah chapter 2, and, and it's talking about what God's going to do. Now, the, uh, where they were, they were hoping for God's blessing upon their, their lives and lands and things in, in Zechariah chapter 2. But there are some very clear messianic uh, things going on there. And it talks about the nations joining in and worshiping. And when you get the, that kind of language, that's not just what's going to happen in, uh, say, you know, five, five, the 5th century B.C. or the 6th century B.C. It's, gonna talk, it's talking about what's going to happen in the future. And, and Gentiles are mentioned in the Old Testament and a good deal. But 
The Great Commission is for all of us, and there isn't going to be any second-class citizenship in this setting. All of us have opportunity to have what any one of us can have. And what we would well to do, would be well to do, is to understand, I have a message. It's not anything you did, it's something you received. This message, the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples. And that's going to meet people where they are, and not wanting them to stay there, but to meet people where they are, whatever they look like, and to minister to them whatever they need. And you know what? That could be a pretty messy situation. Yeah, it could. Why? Because our lives can get, be really, really messy. There are, when I first got to Jamaica, someone told me that 65% of the births in Jamaica, there's no man, man, there's no father on the birth certificate. And I said, I can't be right. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, and the more I got around and talking actually even to some health professionals, they said, no, that's not correct at all. That's way too low. It's probably in the 80s. I said, really? Yeah. So that's a society that has seen the, uh, in some ways, in some ways they're more conservative than the United States. In other ways, they're, they're, they're really struggling with some, with the breakdown of the family and the consequences that that has brought. But the truth is, we have a message. We have a message. And that's something not to be proud about, because it's not something we did. We're just got some news that we want to share with you. And you know, hey, I realized maybe you're struggling in this particular area. Maybe you can say, hey, you know what? I remember what it was like before I knew Jesus. And you know what? I'm not perfect now, but I've seen a lot of changes in my life that I couldn't have done by myself. And the, the power of your testimony can be a great help in helping people understand that you do have something that they need. And what a a vision for Northridge Baptist Church that this could be when we understand that we have a message and we are message bearers. We're not necessarily going to, you know, we don't have any power to see someone get saved. The Holy Spirit works in their lives for that. And it may not happen the first time. It may not happen the second time, the third time you give your message. But the point is, is that we are, need to be faithful with the message that God's given us and to, to discharge that that duty faithfully and responsibly and happily and cheerfully. And you know what? When you start praying to the Lord to send unsaved people your way, he has always, always answered that prayer in my life. And I'm sure he will do that in yours as well. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word. And thank you for this, this passage of scripture, one of my favorite, of, of how you worked in the Ethiopian eunuch's life and how you worked through Philip to do so, a man who was coming into the situation with, with great prejudice and yet put that aside so obviously because he was concerned about the people he ministered to and he was not limited by what they looked like. And thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.